0: General John Kelly, who later became Chief of staff. Welcome to What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. We, uh, in partnership with Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Pizza Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Code Pink YouTube Live. The inspiration for tonight's episode came during the sixth summit of heads of state and government of the community of Latin America and, the, and Caribbean states, also known as CELAC, C-E-L-A-C, which was held in Mexico City on September 18 of this year. A result of the summit was, one of the results of the summit was a special declaration on the question of Puerto Rico. And the declaration includes two points. Those being uh, point one, reaffirm the Latin American and Caribbean character of Puerto Rico and recognizing the efforts made and the resolutions adopted by the Special Committee on Decolonization of the United Nations about the situation on Puerto Rico, the most recent on June 18, 2021, and reiterated that it is a matter of high interest to SELAC, as was emphasized at the highest level of the fifth summit in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, held January 25, 2017. And the second point being, undertake to continue working in the framework of international law, particularly of the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 1514, Declaration on the Granting of Independence to Colonial Countries and People of December 14, 1960, to put an end quickly and unconditionally to colonialism in all its forms and manifestations in Latin America and the Caribbean region. Joining us today to talk about ending US colonialism of Puerto Rico is my friend Monisha Rios. She is a Puerto Rican psychologist and social worker and I'm so pleased to have her with us today.
1: Welcome Monisha. Thank you for having me. It's really, it's a pleasure for
0: us to finally be talking (laughs) face to face, (laughs) so to speak. So so I I should share with our audience um, about an hour before we were scheduled to broadcast, uh, Monisha sent me a WhatsApp message saying she lost uh, electricity in Puerto Rico. And so let's just briefly tell the audience what that's about. And then let's go more deeply into because it is an example of this neocolonial uh, uh, form, neo, what do I want to say, neoliberal form, neoliberal form of colonialism. Neocolonialism. <laughs> That's a tongue twister yes. for me, sorry.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so Luma Energy is a Canadian and USA company that was newly formed not that long ago and entered into a very questionable, very expensive contract with the Puerto Rican government through what they like to call a public-private partnership to basically take over our electrical grid in our country, our occupied nation of Puerto Rico. And so like what we have seen in our sister nations throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, when the privateers want to privatize, there's a systematic destabilization of essential services, a sabotage, if you will, to then try and create public support for this ridiculous expensive policy. And unfortunately, what has happened now is that with with this takeover of Luma, We are constantly losing power. Hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans are without power, sometimes weeks at a time. I'm lucky that it wasn't for a long period of time. um, And we're just having a minor thunderstorm right now. But in many places in Puerto Rico, folks have been without often. uh, And there's a lot to share about that when we get into it
0: okay so, so privatization is not the answer <laughs> it's, it's glorified in the united states as the model and you know here's one more you know just in the past hour one more you know prime example of why it doesn't work which leads me to ask uh about disaster capitalism mm-hmm. you know this because what what you're seeing in Puerto Rico and what the rest of the world is is witnessing is that since the hurricanes, there's been no, there's been no relief from the United States of which you are a part. <laughs> and it's, you've kind of your, your infrastructure, your people have been left with no assistance except, you know, that, that, that help or that. What do I want to say? Rebuilding coming from the private sector.
1: I I, I think the hurricanes did the private sector a favor uh, because even before then we had the crisis, our, our financial crisis happening, um, and that's a whole other layer of U.S. interventionism in Puerto Rico. Is the, the fiscal control board what we call la junta. And so the closing of universities, the lack of investment in infrastructure, our, our electrical grid was nationalized before this. Many of our essential services were more on the nationalized side of the spectrum. And naturally when that got wiped out, it was weak already in large part because of a lack of investment on the part of the Puerto Rican government in the needs of the people and making sure that basic needs could be met in times of disaster. And as you said, now we have this, this new wave of colonialism happening, these new uh, settlers coming in, in droves um, to have their way with us because what defenses do we have? It's a particularly know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'm I, I need to also mention, especially because I'm Viaquense, um, that there are Puerto Rico is not just the big islands of Puerto Rico that everyone thinks of. Um, there's also Culebra and Vieques, two little islands to the east of the bigger island, and I come, my family comes from the little one called Vieques, which the U.S. happened to bomb for 60 years, and prior to that, the U.S. bombed Culebra for uh, that many decades as well. Um, until we've resisted what that means for us now in terms of disaster relief we have no hospital we haven't had a hospital since the hurricanes and prior to that the healthcare there was minimal and inadequate anyway so that's a whole other follow-up to get into at some point well so
0: gosh I have like Ten things I want to ask you simultaneously. <laughs> so, case was a naval, a naval proving ground, testing ground, basically. Yeah, and uh, and then as far as um, as Puerto Rico being a colony is so clearly called out in this this recent declaration coming out of out of Selac. Let's. Talk a little, can you give our audience just a, I know this is a huge question to ask you to, to condense, but a, a really quick background as to Puerto Rico and how Puerto Rico came in, to came to be colonized by the United States or as a commonwealth, I think is the, is the, is the nice word that, like Guam. Yeah. <laughs> commonwealth. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so the U.S., as we know, has always had its eyes on our region, the Latin American Caribbean region. And when all of the, the disturbance in the Spanish Empire was taking place, you had the Bolivarian Revolution. You had the Cuban Revolution taking place. Um, you had Puerto Ricans wanting independence from Spain as well. And we actually had four days of being independent from Spain before the U.S. invaded in 1898, uh, July 25th to be exact. Um So essentially, because the u s wanted the the gateway into Latin America through the Caribbean, which is us here in Puerto Rico, and they also wanted the the sugar industry they wanted they wanted what Spain had um, they created this illusion as always of coming in as saviors. Um, we're going to help liberate you. Uh, there was. It's been a, the same a, narrative a, for 200 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, switch I'm it up, years. you guys. Come on. Mm. Mm. So, but uh, so long story short, um, there was a small group of Puerto Ricans who, like all ruling classes, have proven to be their economic interests aligned with the United States. So they made the invitation to come. Uh, please come liberate us and make us a part of youth. Um, all of this, of course, occurred without the consent and the, the will of the people of Puerto Rico. And unlike Cuba, there was never an intention of making Puerto Rico its own country. There was always the intention of holding on to us because we are that, the, 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 what do they call it? The Pearl of the Caribbean or some stupid thing like that. Yeah. And so then leading up to the the Commonwealth status, this is like a complete falsehood. It's just a way of when classic colonialism became unfashionable in the world, um, suddenly here's the United States, supposedly the bastion of human rights, and they have a colony, a blatant colony. And and so then putting this so-called partial sovereignty in place by saying that we have like a somewhat independent nation Uh, that's freely associated with the United States, that moved us off of the UN's list of actually colonized countries into the self-governing list of countries. So that's why most of the world forgets that, oh yeah, that we still have this colony of the uh United States.
0: Well, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time in Venezuela and and other parts of the Americas in almost every country I've been in, and you, this may be your experience as well. The United Puerto Rico is referred to when we say the United States and Puerto Rico. And I think that that's super important on in from, from an independent international uh, standpoint. But it but it also can infer, yeah, the United States, and then there's Puerto Rico, which is not a state, which is like in in in. Verbosity and language—it's not a no longer a colony, quote unquote. It's a commonwealth. So it's so. What are you? (laughs) What is Puerto Rico? What is Puerto Rico? How do the people of Puerto Rico identify? And and maybe this digs into some of your psychology. Maybe this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so getting into the psychology of colonialism and, and psychological warfare, which is actually my, my specialty, is, is we can look at this through the lens of U.S. hybrid warfare in the context of Puerto Rico, in the context of classic colonialism. Um, the narratives that have been been sort of um, cultivated within the minds of many Puerto Ricans is that you know they're happy to be part of the United States. Um, many are happy to remain in this, Limbo status that we have. Many who, like myself, would prefer complete, total sovereignty and independence. And then there are also some who would like to go the way of Palau and uh, enter into a compact of free association, which is very similar to what we already have, where in the U.S. would control our foreign policy and basically dominate us as a neo colony instead of a purely classical colony. Um, so for me, speaking. Um, for myself and um, other independentistas, we are an occupied sovereign nation. We are a sovereign nation that is occupied politically, economically, and continues to be occupied militarily. Although the landscape of that particular type of occupation has shifted over time.
0: Wow! So he, free association—that's like that's a new term for me. It, oh. in relation to in relation to Puerto Rico, free association. That's, that's basically what you are now or what the.
1: Yeah. That's what they call it. A, a freely associated state.
0: Um, wow. So meaning it's like your choice, it's free. You're free. Exactly. I see. Exactly. Okay. But that's not exactly true because now you, as those of you who are citizens of Puerto Rico are U S citizens, but not fully. And so what
1: what does that mean? Uh, So the Jones Act of 1917 imposed citizenship on Puerto Ricans in order for the U.S. to then draft us into World War I. Um, And uh, so there are some benefits that go with this partial citizenship. When we reside here in the homeland, we cannot vote for president. We have limited rights. There are certain benefits of U.S. citizenship, benefits of imperialism, that um, we don't get, um, but then when we cross the the pond to to um, the Empire, then you can vote for president. You you have a U I have a U.S. passport. I have a social security number. So if
0: you move to Washington, well, no, that wouldn't count. Washington DC, they don't have full. So <laughs> <laughs> you move <True>. to like. <laughs> You know Burlington, Vermont, where I'm from. You you could vote for president mm-hmm. if you establish that as your principal residence, but you could not do that with your principal residence being via, uh, on on via, via
1: Correct.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Oh, this is this is getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm embarrassed that I don't know this in more detail. I mean, I you know, I know all these things on a more surface level, but not to this detail as to how they affect like your actual daily life, even though you that's have. A by U. design. Role. Yeah. No. Clearly. 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 I did not know about you know the the drafting for World War One purposes, and that's yeah, yeah. But yeah. Wow. It's more convoluted and and more oppressive than I. You know, really realized actually. So uh, earlier you brought up, uh, you know, um, hybrid war um, in uh, in connection with colonialism. So let's talk about the various forms of hybrid war uh, being placed on on the on Puerto Rico.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about that, um, because generally when you know those of us who are against imperialism or against U.S. interventionism speak about hybrid war, we, we speak about it in, in relationship to America Latina and other countries. Um, so in, in relationship to Puerto Rico, it, it helps to understand hybrid warfare as we know it today in, the, in modern times as just the, um, the evolution of total war which has always existed. And total war begins with narrative, hybrid war begins with narrative. And then all other aspects such as kinetic warfare, lawfare, uh, the diplomatic warfare, uh, economic warfare, all of that then gets imposed on Puerto Rico through this colonial narrative. So it looks different than what's being done to our relatives in Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, um, etc. Um, with us, our colonial condition leads us to live in sanction-like conditions. So it's an economic sanction of its own type. Um, it's a and, diplomatic. And what, is, and
0: what does that look like?
1: So that looks like. Because that when we say like, this, we
0: think of like, like for you and me, our work we do with Venezuela, Cuba, Iran and other countries and soon to be Nicaragua, hopefully not. But for our audience, that means, you know, deny, you know, cutting off access to the overnight U.S. overnight banking system, to international financial institutions and, freezing assets held overseas and on and on and on. And, and so is that similar to Puerto Rico as well? Uh, no. So
1: what certain, do you mean? Certain fe- certain, so certain features of the neocolonial uh, economic warfare is different than the colonial hybrid warfare. So what we have now is that fiscal control board enacted by mm. President Obama. It's uh, the PROMESA Act which is essentially um, due to the effects of settler colonialism, due to the um, collaboration between our ruling political and economic elite and the U.S. ruling political and economic elite, um, Puerto Ricans in the lower classes have always struggled and in, in, in many ways that poor citizens of the U.S. struggle in many ways that poor citizens of Latin America and the Caribbean struggle. So what it looks like right now under the control of this fiscal control board, which was appointed by the president of the United States, not voted in by right. the Puerto Rican. <laughs> the president you couldn't vote for. <laughs> right. The president you cannot vote for has appointed now these mm-hmm. overseers over your government. They can veto any law that's created by the Puerto Rican government, Uh, Natalie Doresco, whose name might sound familiar from Ukraine, who was one of the top dogs in the International Monetary Fund World Bank, um, she is in charge of our fiscal control board. So all of these austerity measures that we see happening in our neighboring countries are happening to us. The privatization is happening to us. The limited access is happening to us. Um, uh, When I say limited access, I mean, you know, obviously we don't control our foreign policy. We don't control trade with other nations. We can only do what the U.S. tells us we are allowed to do. Um, So we cannot enjoy the solidarity of Cuba. We cannot trade with Venezuela. Um, There's no chance. And then in the case of Vieques and Culebra, the, the two islands that resisted U.S. militarism and, and, and colonial rule the most, um, the living conditions there are closer to, to what they are in Cuba and closer to what they are in Venezuela than the rest of Puerto Rico. Um, because you have the, the punishment of the U.S. government, and this punishment isn't, isn't necessarily in the same vein as it is against um, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, uh, where they've resisted, and so now, just like an abusive spouse, I'm I'm going to steal all of your money and threaten to kill your children. This is instead for maintenance. It is to control the colony. It is to suppress any type of resistance. It's it's to destabilize our independence movement and anything that we might do to live in our full sovereignty, mm-hmm. to have control over our natural resources. Uh, anything that we try to do to 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 enjoy food sovereignty. To cut off our dependency on imported goods from the U.S., it it gets killed. That's right what's away. been done to
0: hate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, importing. Yeah, wow. So creating yeah. markets. Creating markets. Creating also, markets also for the private for, for the private sector.
1: Yeah. Creating markets for the private sector, and then using us to protect the imperial project. And wow. to carry out the imperial project as well. So in many ways, we're like Colombia, we're the Israel of the Caribbean. hmm hmm
0: Yeah, you're that base from which everything. Exactly. Well, I remember, you know, there isn't There's a military airstrip in Puerto Rico that I think was being refurbished. You know, as as the sanctions regime against Venezuela has been getting you know, more and more stringent, more and more stringent, and now, you know, Venezuela is surrounded, has Colombia to the west, and for a while, had a right-wing government in Bolivia to the south, and then this Puerto Rican-U.S. airstrip to the north, it was pretty obvious if you looked at the map, but <laughs> what the intention, when I, when I was a young person, we called that containment, you know, it was, and maybe it's still that, that term is still used, but yeah, so, other forms of hybrid warfare.
1: What, yeah, so what you, going sorry. back to the. Oh, sorry, sorry. I no, to no, talk go ahead. I'm talking over you, uh, so, <laughs> well, over years, I, so I apologize. <laughs> oh, gosh, no, it's a great conversation. Um, the SALAC statement that you read in the beginning. So, when we talk about the diplomatic warfare, that relates to the colonial condition of Puerto Rico, the way that Puerto Rico is discussed in the international community matters. The way that Puerto Rico is discussed in, inside the United States also matters. And so you can see, as you were saying before, uh, the difference in those two narratives. So what, what our, our sister nations in CELAC have done with their statement is affirm our sovereignty. Mm-hmm which is which, is which is
0: 33 nations
1: <laughs> well i think 31 participated yeah yeah affirm our sovereignty
0: 33 um, of the 35 that make up the americas yeah is select yeah minus two this year and brazil brazil and colombia so it was 31 nations that signed that declaration
1: out of 35 minus, minus the two found. Battle states. yeah <laughs> yeah that's understandable, uh, mm-hmm. and but it's it's so necessary. So when we talk about the diplomatic warfare elements of, of colonial hybrid warfare and how that narrative works, for example, there's a good reason why you don't know the specifics of the Puerto Rican struggle over time, as well as let's say we do our our sister nations in in Latin America and mm-hmm. Cuba, um, and it's because. How, how is Puerto Rico talked about in the United States, especially within the anti-war movement, the anti-imperialist movement? How is it discussed?
0: We don't talk about it enough, which is why you're joining us tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which and is why no we're doing this episode. No, we do not talk about it enough. I mean, it, and we really don't. For that. It's Yeah. Because you're, I, I, I it's, and it may be different you know i grew up on the west coast of the united states so perhaps so you know our orientation was a lot more to what was happening with the people in on the islands of hawaii maybe it's more common for people on the gulf coast of the united states and the east coast to look you know to puerto rico but it's really uh almost a nebulous thing it's like well yeah they're part of us they're not a state i, I you know at one point when I was younger, there was there was an election to, to vote for statehood. It didn't pass. I want to say that was in the 70s. Uh, 1967. Sixty-seven, okay. <laughs> so I close. was alive then too. So <laughs> I was I was I was already born by then too. So I do remember. Yeah. So I think it's hard, you know, and then a lot of us uh, know the struggle of, you know, Oscar Lopez, Oscar Roberto Lopez, uh, and of course, he was labeled a terrorist on mainland uh-huh. United States. So, I, you know, it's a really, um, I would say in general, you've been silenced. Yeah. know, yeah. I would say in general, it's been, a, you know, a, silen- a silencing or kind of swept under the carpet, so to speak. Yeah i would say that's probably and, un, for, unfortunately that's probably the the general perception
1: and part of it too so if we sometime i hope maybe there's a chance for us to really dive into that um, because it, it fascinates me at the same time that it terrifies me yeah, um, yeah, yeah. because when you look at like how uh people who are anti-imperialist in aspiration, yet are pro-colonial in action and behavior discuss mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, uh, it's, it's a matter of, in part, it's, it's a matter of there's this mirror that one needs to look into as a resident of the imperial core, as someone who was directly involved in settler colonialism. I have to ask myself these questions and confront these things in myself all the time too, because Puerto Rico has a, a also has its own colonial history to contend with and make amends for, um, being part of the Spanish Empire at one point. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> annihilating, almost annihilating the indigenous, uh, my ancestors, the indigenous people here, and then you know participating willingly in slavery. So you know, some of, the, some of the ways that I found in my own experience of being involved in the US-based movements for uh, anti-war, anti-imperialism, et cetera, is that when it comes to the moment that we can, we can really talk about Puerto Rico, it's like people get nervous, um, there's this hesitation. Part of it is the, you mm-hmm. know, the relationship we all have to settler colonialism, but then part of it too is the way that you've been taught and groomed to, right. to react and to, to treat the, the conversation about Puerto Rico. Because going back to that vote you mentioned, the first plebiscite for whether or not we become a state, stay the same or become independent um, was in 1967 on the tail end of Cuban revolution um, when the U.S. is desperately needing to control narratives about liberation in Latin America and the Caribbean, and when there's this mythology around choice. The the, the mythology that is fed to U.S. citizens is that Puerto Ricans make a choice, that it's a free choice. Yes. right. And in the
0: more recent so, years, that choice was, the ballot was completely manipulated to intentionally confuse people well that i would say that happens on you know pretty much every ballot when 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 you vote in the united states but um but i remember there was an intentional omission or uh, language manipulation so people would not vote for independence yeah am i am i I, remembering that correctly yeah
1: yep you are correct Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So when, it, when it comes to our, our plebiscites, it's, it's helpful, I think, and maybe you can help me encourage our, our colleagues in these movements to view um, how, we, how our politics take place here, and particularly how the colonial politics take place, is to think about the electoral interference that the US is doing in mm-hmm. other countries. We're having yeah. the same thing. It's just a different yeah. question.
0: To, to US
1: citizens. Yeah, Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's to stop us from, from not being property of the United States anymore. And it's to create the illusion of choice and it is to um, manipulate a, a narrative. So there have always been boycotts from that first vote in 1967. And there have been, I think, Six, if I'm remembering correctly, since then the most recent in the past year, 2020, Mm -hmm. and each time, each time there's direct interference and indirect interference from the United States, who is is our master, right? Our 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 slave owner, our our dominant uh, abuser, your colonizer, Um, holding our colonizer, holding our children over our heads, holding our health over our heads, holding our economics over our heads. Holding it all over our heads with this this this, this narrative that oh, you will not survive without us, mm-hmm. so you have to stay married to us, even though, yeah. it, even, though it's <laughs> even though it's abusive marriage, even though it's abusive, um, and and yeah. our ruling class, which benefits from this arrangement, yeah. is is carrying the narrative out, and they profit from it. They profit sure. so much. Um, so there are sectors of the independence movement who rightfully boycott because they understand and they see that this is a whole farce,
0: mm. this whole
1: concept of voting yes or no to independence or statehood or this or that. It's just a farce, right? It's a game that they play with us to keep us yeah. uh, sort of focused on on that instead of fighting for our liberation. And uh, I'm thinking so you actually have that.
0: a choice, the mirage of having, thinking, having a choice.
1: Yeah. Because no matter what, no matter what, so we, 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 it was more like a 50 50 vote in this last one. So even if the the votes for independence had surpassed even by 1%, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we voted 100% for independence because the ones who really have the power to make that decision according to that political and electoral method of achieving our, our liberty as the United States Congress. Right. So the only thing that the plebiscite does for us is it supposedly amplifies the voices the majority of of Puerto Ricans to Congress and it's like a recommendation.
0: It's like a, it's They'll like take it like into registr- consideration. it's a registration of public opinion. That's
1: all. That's it. It's just a it's, it's just a a very uh, corrupt survey. A survey, corrupt <laughs> survey. I like that's good. Yeah. What of the majority that's of the people
0: it. want? Okay, independence. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you, and, and you the have thing... representation this is a really naive question of mine. You cannot vote for president. So the president doesn't represent you, but does make decisions for what happens to you as Puerto Rican citizens. And, and you do have representation in Congress, sort of like DC has representation, but nothing that's actually. Capable of voting and influencing.
1: Right.
0: Yeah,
1: we have a, a puppet, indeed. A puppet, yeah, or yeah. a name and a face, yeah, yeah
0: but no actual name, power. Yeah,
1: yeah, a name and a face that's directly in line with imperialism, and it's just there as a, as a another farce.
0: Yeah, a token. Um, so. Yeah here you know, when we when you and i first talked about doing this episode we had like a laundry list of things that we wanted to talk about so where where what do we need to talk about next um, hybrid warfare and we should where what's the future for puerto rico what what are the what are the people that you live with what's what how do assuming the majority want independence, how does how is that possible? is that do you see that as a greater possibility now as the as the global economy and as politics become more multilateral? Is it a greater possibility? and, they, and I really our audience here is multilateral almost every episode but it is it, it, it is the way it is the way the majority, of the of the world outside of the United States, it is the paradigm that the majority of nations function in. It's the United States that's yeah. still functioning in a unilateral paradigm,
1: right? That they create. Uh, <laughs> yes, I. So there is more hope now. There's more tangible hope and uh, tangible reasons to be hopeful now than there ever has been before. A lot of it has to do with those austerity measures, with the way that especially our youth are 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 living in our current material conditions and are fed up, um, they're angry. And to their credit, I, I really admire them because their their perception is correct mm-hmm. for the most part. So so you see, um, for example, in, in the last elections that took place, there were more votes than ever before for the Puerto Rican Independence Party. So the there are some destabilizing forces. Uh, so you know how the US will create uh, political parties to disrupt and destabilize what could be democratic processes in other countries? The same happen yeah. here. So, you know, uh, with the whole um, feminist imperialist bent sure. that yeah, the US has now. they take advantage of those,
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then fund so, the, yeah, and then fund the parties. Yeah.
1: And we see that we see that all
0: over the Americas.
1: And fund the parties within the United the States NGOs. as well. <laughs> yeah. So we have that too. So right now there's a party that is a de- kind of like a destabilizing force um to shake things up. Um again, it's it's multi-tendency. Um there are really good people involved in it who you know, are caught up and then there are people that um, know exactly what they're doing. Um, so many of the people that would have put their their trust and faith in the Puerto Rican Independence Party, for example, voting for a PEEP uh, candidate for governor did not. They voted for the um, identity politic queen (laughs) um yeah
0: see isn't that that's one of the things and yeah that's really uh disconcerting and something that you know we all need to be aware of is just is is the identity politics because just because someone looks a certain way dresses a certain way identifies a certain way doesn't mean that they're not neoliberal (laughs) I mean it's like right we've basically have we've changed the face of neoliberalism but we haven't changed the project change it much less destroy it we've changed the face of it and that actually to me makes it more scary and more threatening because now it can appear to be more palpable to to more people and I just I just wish we could just you know, become a, for lack of a better term, a melting pot politically. We like to say in the United States that we are a melting pot of people from all over the world, and and somehow we've we've chosen to put ourselves back into these individual silos, and it's um, and it's it's obscuring our our vision yeah. on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I learn a lot from the Red Nation and mm-hmm. I, I really pay attention to what Indigenous elders and Indigenous youth uh, are teaching us, especially now. Uh, they're the people that we really need to be, be listening to yes. and following the lead of. Um, There's a vanguard I, of I, humanity
0: I, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. They're going to save and, the planet and the humans if we let them.
1: If we let them, if we get out of the way. Um, yeah. And I, when I say indigenous, I also mean indigenous African. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, and, and so something that, that has occurred to me recently, and it's really one of the reasons why I focus so much on narratives and on psychological warfare, because that is the basis of all the other things. Um, the narratives that we're taught about one another, they come from colonialism, they come from imperialism, they come from the capitalist project. And they're there specifically, as you know, to divide us. And something that was said recently um, is that we would still be coming together, trading together, living together from our different nations, societies, and cultures, even if colonialism did not exist, because that is the natural way of humanity to migrate, to fall in love, to, to create new societies together, to share art. To, to share culture, to build together. And so that's where we can really focus our energies is that, yes, we've all been socialized in the US, especially toward um, colonialism, toward a, a mentality and a worldview that maybe we don't want, it isn't natural for us, but it's what we've been raised in. So is there's that whole unlearning work, but in terms of how we build relationship with one another as now, it's, it's, it's an imperative for us to come together and learn how to work together and be relatives to save the planet from ourselves um, or from, from capitalism, from, mm-hmm. from yeah. Um,
0: that- well, it's a divide and conquer thing. I mean, it's very Machiavellian, yeah. very simple, I and mean, all the way back to you know, the art of war, the chi- that, that divide and conquer and keep people you know, separate. Versus, you know, the same as one, you know, one species, which we are, <laughs> we just, we just happen, you know, to have different physical attributes I remember when I, when I was living, still living on the California coast in, in West Marin, um, I used to do a lot of hiking and I was out one day with uh, some friends of mine and we walked past this meadow filled with deer of all ages and sizes. And, you know, some were reddish, some were kind of white, some were little, some were big, some were old, some were young. And one of, one of the people I was walking with said, I have to take this picture of this meadow. And I said, well, what's it going to be called colorblind? Uh Because here they were all sharing the same food source, the same space, no problem, you know, nobody pushing someone out, nobody, <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, and I, and I just, so, when I have these conversations, I just so, just remember that afternoon, because it was so, I don't think I realized how poignant it was, I mean, we knew it was a special moment, and a special title for that moment, but it just, it's a, it keeps recurring, I, that moment keeps coming back to me so many times, and it's been, like, 10 years since I've had that walk, <laughs> but yeah, colorblind, so you know, here are these these animals, as are we, sharing, sharing, yeah. sharing the space, sharing the food, you know, sharing each other's friendship, and yeah, it was a really special thing. I want to ask yeah. you before I I let you go. Gosh, I I feel like we could just talk all evening, quite frankly, and, <laughs> and so you're gonna have to come back. <laughs> Thank and, you. And <laughs> But one of the things I'm sure our audience is begging for me to ask you about, because this has come up the past year, you know, every country that we've touched on. What's the situation with COVID-19 in Puerto Rico?
1: It's hard to tell, to be honest. Um, Sometimes we don't have data. Um, Is that intentional? I think or,
0: it is. Or just lack of in, infrastructure or, or yeah, all I, of the above. Maybe. I
1: think it's an intentional lack of infrastructure and mm-hmm. a lack of support for the people who are ethical um, yeah. in, in doing their jobs. We, I mean, because we could not close our borders essentially and we had to continue receiving tourism from the United States and whoever mm-hmm. the United States decided to to allow um we've had many um escalations of cases more recently we had a really bad one um although again the data is is, is questionable um but see isn't this and this is
0: just amazing to me because we don't hear this in the mainland united states what we do hear is how bad it is in Cuba and how they're not responding. How bad it is in all these other places, particularly countries not aligned with the United States. who I would argue many of them have done a far better job addressing the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean it's really it's a sin actually that yeah. we're yeah you know our own
1: citizens. The, vacu- are not. the vaccination rates have been good. Okay. Uh, so, so you've had access. So we've, yeah. Yeah that's that's uh, yeah and so so thankfully there's that but then you know the the same things that were happening in the more right wing. so something to definitely understand about puerto rico is our current current government like the the statehood party is fascist um and there are a couple other parties that are very fascist and um so and un- under their their control, I mean we've had openings before we should have opened uh, mm-hmm. this, this this these last outbreaks they should have closed everything down again, but didn't um, instead, there became this this really kind of hateful dehumanizing campaign against people who haven't been vaccinated um, in- in- instead of meeting human need once again, it was all about. Yeah. You put the economy first,
0: and the private yeah, yeah. the private yeah. sector first, and the and the, and yeah. the people second yeah, yeah, I wow, that's yeah. really um, oh well I'm happy to hear about the vaccination rate the access to vaccines and the vaccination rate that's yeah that's encouraging hopeful so I hey, mean you think if Puerto Rico is an island it could be very could, could have been you know very very easy. <laughs> to literally <laughs> shut down access <laughs> yeah yeah and just get yeah and just you know get everybody healthy and vaccinated and then reopen which is which is what cuba is planning to do you know get everybody yeah. healthy get 90% of the country vaccinated and then you know we can they'll reopen and they'll be they, they themselves will be safe uh from you know for tourists and the tourists will be safe too i mean it's a win win for everybody yeah. You know, and with an island, it's, you know, a, it's logistically it's so much easier to do it than, than, a, than any of the states sitting in the, in the middle of the United States, of the continental United States. Yeah. So, yeah. so what else should we talk about? What, what, what do you want to make sure we, we, what point do you want to make sure we raise this evening before I let you go?
1: So I know that a common conversation you've been having lately on on your show has been around cryptocurrency. Yeah, um, and that is. And you and I talked about part. that actually
0: after one, or while I was preparing for one episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. I think um, I think the
0: El Salvador episode. Yeah. We were talking about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Because it is controversial.
1: <laughs> it is. I'm I'm so thankful too that you you dialogued with me about it because as soon as I saw what the subject matter was, I felt this. Pain in my chest, like oh God, not <laughs> El Salvador. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so so yes. On the one hand, um, cryptocurrency is saving the lives of many of our relatives in sanctioned nations. Right? We right. see that as the yeah. workaround and um, work around your,
0: your banking system and the U.S. petrol dollar and all of those things. Yeah, which is my orientation yeah. to cryptocurrency. Bitcoin and you know being able to use it on PayPal now <laughs> but, yeah uh,
1: so when so obviously like all money is just a tool right no matter what form it takes digital or paper um, it doesn't have any meaning until you give it meaning and it has no action until you give it action right so the meaning and the action of cryptocurrency in Puerto Rico is colonialism <laughs> it's 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 not a, a, a salvation for us. Um, it is another, yet another imposition and it is an, another form of disaster capitalism that we have been um, imposed upon with. Um, Brock Pierce, who is a, a child star who was in the Mighty Ducks, came here um, after the hurricane, trying to save Puerto Rico with Bitcoin. Um, and all he's done is act like a colonizer. Um, He's buying up buildings left and right, historic buildings. He walks himself around like he's the president of Puerto Rico. And then after him came this influx of crypto colonizers. Um, And the way that your guest from El Salvador uh, explained that was very good. Um, That essentially, you know, this is just the new money. This is just the, the new wave of colonizers coming here, mostly from the United States. Mm -hmm. mostly coming here because Puerto Rico is a tax haven because it is an island Mm -hmm. because there are so many incentives. So there's uh, the act 2022 and then there's another one, 61, I believe. I hope someone will correct me on that. If I'm wrong, I'm sure they will. Um, There's all these real estate incentives. There's all these business incentives to, to encourage more and more settlers to come here. Uh, because and you, and always, like
0: in Bitcoin, but what was the, why, why did this, uh, why was it, why is it being done via Bitcoin and not U.S. dollars? What's the, what's I, the
1: I think it's, thinking behind that? I think it's just because uh, it happened to be the, the crypto, the Bitcoin bros, as we call them, <laughs> yeah. that came. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones with, with the money right now. So uh, there's a new, but it's the
0: same system. It's just a different coinage, basically. It's the same. It's, it's the same exactly system. It. It's, still, it's still disaster capitalism, and yeah, they're just yeah. using a different currency versus the US yeah. dollar. Yeah, I, I would and, also and argue it's a generational stuff. thing too. Yeah, in part,
1: it once was gold and silver. Then it became paper money. Now it's digital money, yeah. uh, but it's the same people. The same type of person doing the same type of thing, Um, and then when you know we talk about the electrical grid, uh, how long? So let's let's just hypothetically suppose that um, cryptocurrency could help Puerto Ricans around the colonial sanctions that we're living under. If it could help us reduce our dependency on the United States in some way, Um, there's no way that. The majority of Puerto Ricans who live under the poverty line as established by the United States, who many live in the mountains, um, mm-hmm. many live without internet. There's no way- no, So there's no
0: way that. to use an electronic wallet if you don't have internet, <laughs> which right. was the argument made uh, against the the introduction of cryptocurrency in El Salvador too was the access, yeah. and and that guest I should just remind our audience that guest was Yesenia Portillo from Cispis in Washington D.C. Yeah, so she was. Yeah.
1: she did great. Very
0: knowledge, very knowledgeable about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So. And so it, it, it's similar for us here, and it's really done just again as another neoliberal uh, colonial project. It's not deliberate. It's the same
0: us. model. We're not talking about, you know, dismantling neoliberalism. Right. Yeah. It's right. just a new, it's the same model, new, new tool.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not even a new tool. It's still money.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's, it's exactly. new it's still money. <laughs> it's, it's new, just a new form. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So, uh, and, yeah. And, the, and the other question is, is what is the environmental impact actually? And have we had enough time to assess that? And is there an ethical way of using it? And this is something that I would love to hear from our indigenous relatives on what they think is, what, what is their perspective on this? Because knowing that the US uh, and those who love to control the monetary system of the world will definitely put out a particular narrative to draw people away from anything that counters that That Mm -hmm. challenges, their domination, right? Cryptocurrency now. Um, So it's hard for the average person like myself to know when we look at this article that's maybe from a reputable source, a trusted source about the ecological impact of cryptocurrency, crypto mining, um, and those of us who have climate change in the forefront of our minds, how do we move forward with this new technology responsibly, ethically, and in a way that's not actually putting us backwards in the fight to save the planet, but will propel us forward. So it's another big question that comes up in Puerto Rico a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a big, we will have to have a conversation just on that <laughs> as, as we watch it evolve, unfortunately, in Puerto Rico and yeah. see what it's doing, yeah. So so Monisha, I wanna thank you so much for joining us this evening, and I'm so happy the audience should know that the light stayed on for you. <laughs> we <Yeah>. weren't sure. <laughs> the privatized electrical grid that was once public infrastructure doesn't function on any sort <laughs> and doesn't service the majority of citizens either. Which is, yeah, So, so I'm glad that we thank were able you. to- <laughs> to talk I want you to come back and I also think that we should talk about you know a, a delegation to Puerto Rico yeah okay
1: you
0: know, yeah we should we Definitely. should do that you know ne- early next year I <laughs> yeah I think it would be you know a good a good stu- you know exploration and study you know to really dig deep into yeah. to what's going on there I think it'd be enormously educational for a wide variety of people from the mainland United States. But, yeah, yeah. So, so thank important. you again. And I wanna remind you, our audience Terry. that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America in the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program. We broadcast every Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. And also I should remind all of you that uh, of Code Pink Radio, which broadcasts on Thursday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 8 a.m. Pacific uh, out of WBAI New York City, simulcasting on WPFW out of Washington, D.C. And you can find both episodes of What the F is Going On in Latin America and Code Pink Radio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, <laughs> there's well my tip. So, okay, everyone, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody.